morning, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. Yes, two things I wanted to add to announcement time. Thing number one, yes, if you were at all on the fence about the men's retreat for next week, man, it's going to be rocking. Um, I know that uh, me and, and Brian and Bruce and uh, Tim Fales are going to go, and we're going to leave uh, early morning on Friday, and we're going to go to Monticello and do some history uh, nerdy stuff before we go to the men's retreat. So if you're interested at all in joining us for that, or if you would just like to go and not be interested in the history stuff, but just come to the retreat, we'd love to have you. Please uh, just consider that. That would be wonderful. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention real quick is May 4th. You probably saw an email that I sent out uh, last week or so. Uh, we're going to have a uh, what we could call a core leaders meeting. Uh, people, um, basically, this is a leader for uh, a meeting for anybody who is involved in leadership in any capacity at New Hope Community Church, or perhaps one day they could be. Essentially, this means that this is for anybody. This is for anybody who cares about just the lifeblood of our church, uh, our church's mission and vision and values. We just want to spend some time as um, as, as a group of core leaders who care about our community, care about our church, talking about um, um, kind of where we're headed and what are the, the, the things that, that kind of um, that we can be doing to help build our culture and build our body and kind of build into each other and follow Jesus more closely. Um, so I would highly recommend we'll be in Bellis Hall on the morning of May the 4th from 9 to 11. If you're at all sitting here thinking like, I'm not sure if he's talking to me, that means I'm talking to you. I would love to have you there. And it really, it's for anybody to join us. That would be wonderful. So uh, with that, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Galatians 4. Uh, and I ask the congregation to please stand for the reading, reading of the Word of God. Galatians 4, starting in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a, of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you. You did not scorn or despise me, but, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, they make much of you, those troublemakers, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. <laughs> I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. 
Brothers and sisters, all flesh is grass. The beauty of that grass is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this, the word of our God, endures. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. So, I realize I don't always explain the cover of the bulletins. Uh, Last week, for instance, we had this image from the movie Adventures in Babysitting, one of my favorites growing up. And the reason why we had this image on there had to do with a word in last week's passage, in last week's text, that the ESV translated as guardian. Paul had been saying that formally the law had acted as a guardian um, for God's people. But now a life in the Spirit gives way to a new life in faith and freedom in Christ. You see, the word guardian was the word paedagogos, which implies some degree of child rearing or, or child protection. So one translator actually thought it best to translate that word paedagogos as babysitter. The law acted as a babysitter for God's people to help keep them grounded until the fullness of time had come and the new covenant had begun and God's people came of age in and through King Jesus. Hence the picture of the Adventures in Babysitting movie. Today's image is from the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, which I'm guessing that many of us have used as a resource, if not read, you know, cover to cover. It's marketed as a must-read for parents expecting a new arrival. I'll confess that even though I have two kids, I didn't read it. I'm sure it's on our bookshelf. Uh, Perhaps it used to be. Amy probably read it. The the kids are doing well. I mean, what do you, I don't know. Anyway. The, the reason why it's on the cover of the bulletin today has to do with the fact that, as you just heard, Paul, he, he makes this, like, mothering analogy in the text today. It, it's towards the end, and it's kind of a confusing sentence structure. Paul is clearly upset with the Galatian church community because they have allowed a false uh, gospel narrative to infiltrate their community. Um, this false narrative essentially says two things. First, there has been lies that have spread that says that the gospel isn't enough. And second, these lies say that there are some of, the, uh, of you who don't really belong. And Paul has no time for this. In fact, we will use a strong word that we don't use too often at, at New Hope here in service. Paul has no time for this heresy. It is heretical to suggest that anything but the grace of God offered to us by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ earns our righteousness and our salvation. It is also heretical to suggest that there are some people in this world who are in God's inner circle, the real Christians, the real holy people. As Paul said last week, He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is not to say that there aren't distinctions made, because diversity is a good thing, but in Christ you are one. 
So this false narrative have infiltrated the Galatian church community. Jewish Christian leaders had suggested that Gentile converts to the faith must take part in certain Jewish traditions and rituals and surgeries in order for them to become real Christians. Not only that, they were also treated as second-class citizens, and Paul is furious. No doubt he's furious at those who are spreading the lies, but he's also quite angry with the community in general. See, this is why I think leadership is, is so important. This is why we're having that meeting on May 4th. Leadership is so important, not because pastors are more righteous than anyone else in the room, but because the habits and the behaviors of those in leadership will always affect the health of any given culture. This is true of businesses. This is true of schools. This is true of families, and it's true of the church. When those in leadership offer a model, offer a model that is worth imitating, the organization is then better empowered to be what it was created to be. Evidently, the leadership in the Galatian church community was not mature enough to call out that false narrative that was in their midst. And this is serious, but, hearkening back to our bulletin cover, it is not also entirely unexpected. Paul is a master of doing two things at the same time. You might remember years ago when we studied, uh, we studied Romans 1, and Jason repeatedly told us that, that in Romans 1, Paul was doing two things. Paul was saying, what Paul was saying in Romans 1, it was a setup, and then it was also true. In here in Galatians 4, Paul is overwhelmed with emotion towards this church community that is dangerously close to missing the point, dangerously close to to losing the plot. Still, he also makes a comment implying that he's in the pains of motherly anguish as he awaits Christ to be formed in the Galatian community. Hence the bulletin, what to expect when you're expecting. Namely, when you're pastoring a church community, Or when you're a leader in a church community, it is important to remember that Christ is slowly bringing about the sanctification of those who are in the flock. And it is understandable that they, as well as you, are going to trip along the way. See, most likely this letter would have been dated roughly around 50 AD, just a few decades removed from Jesus' earthly ministry and the start of the church. It stands to reason that the church at large would be experiencing some growing pains as it matured out of the Jewish traditions through which it was birthed, and also in the midst of the Roman Empire that was increasingly hostile to its message. For, so Paul is attempting in letter form to correct this community that he cares for. I love the last line of today's passage. Uh, he, says, he says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed by you. Uh, the word perplexed is the, the Greek word um, apareo. It means uh, be at a loss or uh, to be in doubt, not knowing which way to turn, as if like in embarrassment. Paul's saying, I- I'm embarrassed to say that, that I'm at a loss for how much you all have lost the plot. Still, I wish 
I could be with you. You see, that's the real point. That's really the crucial thing, that these are not the words of a mere disciplinarian who is detached and un- has a, a detached and unfamiliar relationship with the community to whom he's writing. This is a leader who longs to be with this family that he helped to form because he hears that they have lost their way and they are dangerously close to a deadly cliff. So, I have another little parable. I know some of you really like when I come up with these parables. So, I I thought of one today, a little parable for you that that might help make this point further. Once upon a time, there was a family who moved into a new neighborhood. And they didn't know many people. So, the kids had a hard time making friends. Slowly they began to develop relationships with the other neighborhood kids, and they began to find out that what the kids liked to do in that town more than anything else was to play baseball. It's really cool how these pulpits are like perfectly like designed for, for baseball props. I love that. So baseball is like the lifeblood of this town, and this is great. The, the kids in our family, they played baseball a, a little bit back where they came from, but if, you know, if it's going to help them make friends, they're happy to play more of it. One of the challenges is that all of the ball fields, the good ball fields, are regulated for use in official little leagues. So this is great for official games, but the town kind of makes it hard for anyone to use the nicer fields who, who just want to play for fun. So the kids want to play, and, and pretty soon they've got some friends, and they started playing at a field nearby their house that, that this field is just ideal for playing. It's just it's the, 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 the grass is mown by a, one, of the, one of the neighbors, and it's just this perfect field uh, with just flat land, and it's just beautiful. And they're having a great time. The, the problem is that the field where they're playing has this cliff towards out a ways that would be maybe in the outfield if they played too far. Now, the wise thing would be for the teams to play far enough inland that they would be in no danger of being anywhere near this really deadly cliff. But the father in our family, see, he knows that kids like to test limits. So he tells them, hey, hey, do not play anywhere near that cliff. You guys have plenty of room. Sorry about that. All right, that's better. All right. So the dad starts to notice that little by little, over the course of the summer, home plate seems to just be getting a little bit closer to that cliff. So he goes up to the crowd of kids, and he kind of embarrasses his own son and daughter in front of all their friends by demanding that they use the place that he designated as home plate. 
a place that was a safe enough distance away, ensuring that no one could ever hit a ball that far out to reach the cliff. But the dad's not always around. And while he's away, some of the other neighborhood kids, well, they test limits of where the home plate is. And slowly that home plate starts creeping back towards that deadly cliff. And one day, while the dad is away, the kids are playing ball, but this time there's no more creeping. They have intentionally positioned home plate in such a way that they can attempt to hit balls over that cliff. And the son of our family is playing in the outfield, and he wants to make sure that he catches anything these kids hit out there. So just so happens that the mother walks down to check on her kids at the just the right moment when this big, ugly neighborhood kid just launches one out. And the son, who is in the outfield, starts to book it towards the cliff because he wants to catch this ball. He thinks that ball is not going to make it over the cliff. He thinks he can catch it. He, he jumps up and he's feet from the cliff and he makes the catch. But when he makes the catch, he stumbles a bit when he lands. And thankfully, he catches himself on a tree root inches from falling over the cliff. But he realizes how close he was. And then he realizes that his mom just saw the whole thing. His mother runs straight through the game, running as fast as she can towards her son. And when she reaches him, she grabs him by the shoulders, and she's furious, and tears are running down her face, and she says, Don't you realize what you just did? Do you have any idea how afraid I was for you just then? Do you have any idea what it would be like for me to lose you? See, here is this woman who grew this child in her womb, who gave birth to him and watched him breathe his first breath. She poured everything she had into being his mother. And then when she saw her son disregard her and her husband's instruction and treat that life as casually and disrespectfully as he did, to say that her response was anger did not do the emotion justice. It was anger, but it was also fear, and it was also sadness, and it was also agony. Because she thought that the days had passed when she needed to watch him every waking second. She thought she could trust him to have the freedom to make mature choices. See, I'm sure you're ready for me to say that this is what Paul is saying to the Galatian churches. And that's true, it is but it's not just what Paul is saying to the Galatian churches. This is what Paul is saying to us. Let's think about the Galatians for just a moment. I am again, Paul says, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. See, there is a deep personal connection here. You might say that it sounds like Paul, you know, has lost sight of the fact that it's God who forms. You might say, well, Paul, you really need to let go and let God. Well, I doubt that the Apostle Paul has anything less than a laser focus on the truth that God is sovereign over this whole situation. But the role that we play in each other's faith is heavily emphasized here. Paul Evidently, in regards to the Galatian church, Paul has skin in this game. 
He sees the church community of Galatia as his children, whom he has watched over uh, as God moved in their midst. And now he's seen them drift from the message in such a way that is outright dangerous. A poison had infected their community, and he wants to make it crystal clear that it had tainted their understanding of the gospel. This was a serious situation for the Galatian community, but it was also symptomatic of the things that the church would struggle with all the way through this day. And they go back to those two things, those two sins, those two cliffs that we mentioned before uh, that the Galatian church had been struggling with. Those two lies, those two heresies. The gospel isn't enough and there are some who don't belong. Look at every Every season of church history, from the early church, through the dark ages, through medieval times, through the Renaissance, through the American Revolution, on through the 19th and the 20th century, repeatedly the church has fallen for poisonous lies that say that either there is religion that we need to add to the gospel in order for true salvation to happen, or there are people who don't really belong to God's true family. Pick a chapter in, church, in a church history book, in a, in a history book. The names and places change, but sin remains the same. But that sin remains the same. Praise God that some of the best moments in history happen when God moves through men and women to call the church to be who they truly are in Christ. To return to their identity in Christ. Men and women who take a stand for grace, who take a stand for inclusivity, who take a stand for service and charity and character. And here's the catch. It's so easy for us to idolize those faith heroes and make them the ones that are worth worshiping. But, but they're just mere humans like the rest of us, still being formed in the image and likeness of Christ even as they were used by Christ to do extraordinary things. You see, this process that Paul refers to of being formed in Christ is sometimes referred to as sanctification. To sanctify something means to make it holy, to to set it apart, to, to purify. It could be said that this happens, sanctification, in three stages, I'm going to get a little theological for a moment here. Uh, it could be said that, that sanctification happens in three stages that are all the more, uh, a lot more exciting than they sound. First, there's your initial sanctification. This is the sanctification that is available to you right now, where you sit if you haven't already accepted it. This is your moment of salvation when you are welcomed into the family of God. It is a sanctification that is based on Christ's righteousness, not yours, where you confess him as Lord and declare him to be the Lord of your life, you declare that your life belongs to him. You see, this it's this principle of initial sanctification that speaks into our knowledge that there is truly no works of our own that could ever earn our salvation. Rather, it is the faithfulness of Christ to the messianic mission that affects this change. Uh, think of Jesus on the cross with the thief beside him. He expresses faith in Jesus and he looks at him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Now, Jesus doesn't look back and say, well, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't really have time for baptism or a new members class. Um, I don't even know where you stand on justification or a little hell. How could you possibly be saved this late in the game? No! Jesus looks right back at this guy and he says, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It's this amazing vision that we get of Jesus fulfilling his messianic role, even to the point of death on a cross, and a man knows that he cannot trust in his own righteousness for his own salvation. That, that's initial sanctification that is available to us at this moment right now. It's the moment that begins our faith journey. But then, looking forward, there is what we could call ultimate sanctification. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. See, this is most specifically what Paul is referring to in Galatians 4. He's looking forward to a time when our sanctification process will reach its conclusion. When everything that separates us from God's holy character is burned away once and for all. And what is left is the person made in the image of God that we were created to be. No sin separating us from the divine. No sin separating us or keeping us from being our true selves. This is the image of who we are in God's new creation when Jesus sits on the throne for good and heaven and earth become one. This is us in that new creation. Repeatedly in the New Testament, we see this principle of now and not yet. We can pick up a newspaper and we can see that people aren't living like God is on the throne. But as Christians, we don't need to look any further than ourselves also to see that sin still creeps up on us and steals life away. But we look forward as Christians, we look forward in anticipation of who we will be in Christ. And you see, it is that life of anticipation that is what we could call progressive sanctification this is our faith journey our life of discipleship to the master we're not perfect but we were uh, we are being made perfect in jesus as we seek to follow his lead and live a life in the holy spirit whereas before we were sinners in need of a savior now we are saints who are called to get away from the cliff Slowly we learn through our relationship with God and our community with each other that the way of the Spirit is the path that doesn't just lead to life. It's the path of life, a life of love, a life of joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, a life of self-control. Do you see... As we get through to the end of Paul's letter, we're going to see him talk about that being what true freedom looks like. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, You might be thinking, how is he going to preach a sermon and be on the men's retreat at the same time? Uh, Get ready for that. For now, um, consider one thing that Paul says. Have I then become your enemy? By telling you the truth. Discipleship implies discipline. 
The question I would have for you in closing today is, have you allowed a voice of discipline in your life to be heard by your ears as the voice of an enemy? Have you heard that voice of your heavenly father or maybe your earthly father or your earthly mother or your spouse or maybe your kids or your boss or your teacher who have repeatedly told you that you're too close to the cliff? Have you allowed those voices to be the voice of a God who wants to steal your joy? No, God, I know what's best for me. I'm just playing near the cliff. There's no way that I'm going to fall into that pit of sin and addiction and greed and envy and hate. There's no way I could ever add anything to your gospel. There's no way I could ever keep your uh, children on the other side of salvation. God, you're just trying to steal my joy. And God says, no, don't you understand? I'm telling you to stay away from the cliff because I love you. Because I don't want you to fall don't want you to taste death that's why I went to the cross for you so that you could taste nothing less than freedom so that you could taste nothing less than righteousness and you could feel my love and live in my joy that's what God wants for us not because he's a killjoy because he loves us father thank you so much for this community that we can be a community that encourages and also kind of disciplines each other thank you that you would call a church to be a place where we can call out each other in love speak truth to each other in love when some of us have lost our way when we're playing too close to that cliff when we've lost the plot father i would just uh, ask that the leaders that are in this church um, that their habits and that their, their behaviors, that you would remind them of that their habits and their behaviors have consequences. That when they make choices in the life of this community, they're doing so um, in a way that is building into this culture, this culture of Jesus. Father, we just ask all of this in the name of your Son who cleanses us and offers us uh, sanctification and salvation. In Christ's name, amen.